To connect with our communities and to reflect on the important topics and challenges we face today, we could attend a conference. But not all of us have the time or the opportunity to do so. There are other ways to engage in discussion and consider various perspectives and viewpoints on important subjects. Today, I'm excited to welcome someone who has worked hard to spread the word of contemporary jewellery and create and collate content on, for example, subjects like value, economics and the context jewellery operates in. It is the interdisciplinary artist, curator and editor-in-chief for Smuk magazine, Lucia Richards. Welcome, Lucia. Thank you, Sophie, for inviting me. I'm very happy to be with you and discuss all the topics and much more. To start, perhaps, we can go into the first question of can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do? Born and raised in, uh, in Greece, in Athens, by a Greek mother who is also an artist and a British father, academic and writer. However, my parents uh, did not live together for a very long time, so I was mainly influenced by the family of my mother, people who loved uh, literature, theater, the arts in general, and also influenced by my stepfather, who of Greek Jewish origins, who has also influenced me a lot in the way I think he was an economist. So uh, working with textile, this is important for my later uh, love for textile and for the applied arts, because he was very uh, involved in textile and fashion. He had a fashion brand, a fashion business. But also, let's say, because of all these influences, I think of myself as having Greek roots, but being more open to everything. And because also of my later curriculum, I studied economics at the National University of Athens. And then I studied at the University of Arts in West Berlin. At the time, it was Hochschule der Künste. Later, it became a university. I say West Berlin because at the time, Berlin was divided through the wall. I studied visual communication and it's interesting that now I come back to the same interest of my youth. I was interested in video clips. In my young days, MTV uh, has been a great, great influence also on the aesthetics, fashion aesthetics, appreciation of art, video was important, performance, dance, music. Went to Berlin, so Berlin was very avant-garde, very special, and the School of Fine Arts at the time, now university, it allowed you to experiment with everything. Visual communication could be seen as graphic design, but in our school you could do everything. So I did sculpture, I did printmaking, a lot of photography. My, my diploma is also on photography. I was very much interested in semiotics of photo history, and this is one of my passions collecting old photos and try to make stories. And I experienced the, the fall of the wall, which was a very uh, a unique moment in, uh, in 20th century, late 20th century history. And this is also how my interest in politics uh, started. I was not very much interested. And when the wall um, came down, uh, I visited East Germany. What I saw and what I experienced in the, the first three, four years, let's say the destruction of the local communities, of the local economy, uh, made me rethink a lot about our, our view of the whole, discussing with, with people from East Germany. So my, my interest in, in politics grew. At the time, I was busy editing uh, film scripts. I always loved writing and film. This is how I moved from making into more writing. So this is the, the background. As a former Reuters financial reporter, you have been also educated sort of in journalism. You mentioned your training in the visual communications in London and Athens. And you are an artist and curator working with textile, jewelry and performance. Where did your fascination with sort of the medium of jewellery come from? And how do you see it interlink with your very multidisciplinary practice and background? My, my fascination for jewellery comes uh, because of my Greek origins. 
A jewelry is not something special and very ordinary in Greece. People wear a lot of jewelry. It has some of its archaic meanings. It means protection, it's talismanic. Many people wear a cross or an eye, a blue eye. Uh, it means loyalty, they wear the wedding rings. It means a remembrance or emotional triggering of a good moment, like presents we give, even friends give presents to a friend. So, and it was also a gender, a necessary um, a gender attribute because uh, women, a woman in Greece without jewelry, no jewelry at all, is very rare. So it is part of your image, it's part of your protection, protecting you against uh, evil eyes or whatever. Even if it's unconscious, it means you are loved, you have friends, you have lovers, you have husband, wives, whatever, who give you this, uh, this present. It is the magic. People think that uh, jewelry makes them more beautiful, makes them see the viewer forget how old they are or how not that beautiful they are. They look at the jewelry. So you see all ages from very young to very old wearing jewelry. And as I said, I was living in West Berlin. It was 1993. It was at the end of my studies. I was preparing for my diploma show. And I felt the urge to wear jewelry. I had my own jewelry from Greece. And at the time in Athens, in the early 90s, there were also many small boutiques wearing uh, jewelry from non-precious metals or from other uh, materials, from uh, organic materials, because there was this, this very active, active buying public. So I went to Berlin everywhere and could find only these very classical diamond rings and chains, and it was horrible. So I decided to make my own jewelry. They were very different from what I do now. Friends of mine loved them. I started getting assignments. Uh, so I started exploring this possibility of, as I said, I didn't know what to do after my studies. Uh, so I uh, re-entered the university. I studied history for two years in the Freie Universität Berlin, but I didn't intend to make a degree in history. It was just to gap this time that we don't know what to do. You have studied, you have had your graduation show, everything was great, but what are you going to do for work? So the, um, the university gave me the opportunity to, to have, um, to find uh, student jobs, I could make a living and to explore the possibility of, of doing something with jewelry, which was more commercial, so to say, it was more easily um, uh, sold. My curiosity of how far I can go brought me to Paris, where I had a horrible experience. I have been horribly rejected by the Parisian, uh, especially by Parisian gallery. Uh, and then I went to New York. At the time, I had um, a partner, a boyfriend who was New Yorker. So I went to New York and then I made the experience that maybe your work is not liked or is despised, even despised or hated in one place. And you go to an, another place and they love it. So I made the experience that they loved my work, they bought my work, and it was, let's say, a first uh, step towards uh, financial independence through this medium. Of course, this was more of a hobby because in New York, I had a stage, I had a, um, an internship at Christie's. I was thinking at the time to do something more practical, uh, my love for art and uh, my knowledge of economics. So I had an internship at Christie's. I was thinking of working in the art market to see, to find employment, maybe in a gallery or something like that. And then things happened in my family in Greece and I had to come to Greece. And for me, the easiest way to make a living uh, was to, to look for employment as a writer, as a journalist. So this is how I started uh, also, let's say, um, by accident, I started my jewellery career and by accident, I started my journalistic career. Lucia, together with your partner, Christoph Ziegler, you started a magazine called Schmuck, for which you are the editor, and you actively encourage people to write more in our discipline. For anyone listening who hasn't received any training in writing, how should they get started? 
have a column, letters to the editor. And people who have not necessarily an experience in writing artists, sometimes they react to an article or to a theme. Our recent letter to the editor came from uh, a Swedish uh, jewelry artist who have cooperated in the past, Ellen Flockman, who made her comment on uh, an article I wrote on value, how you calculate what's the difference between value and price in a product or in art. And she wrote a very interesting letter. She sent it to me personally as a comment, and I thought it was very interesting. So I edited it. I told her I'm going to edit it so that it is uh, the personal things uh, come out. And it is it stays only the skeleton answering the question, why should we publish it? What does it bring to our audience? So there are tips for writing. Let's say you can... Uh, writing is technical, of course, writing for journalists is different. There are also workshops, creative writing or uh, film script writing, etc. Let's say talent in writing is a tiny uh, contribution. Technically, you have always to have a point. What do you want to say? And you, you, you develop your arguments around or it's argumentative writing like you read my article, you don't agree with it, and then you make something like a vivisection of the article and you say in this paragraph, I don't agree because this and this and this. Or it can be an observation, like we had uh, two issues ago, we had a report uh, from Munich, from the first part of Schmuck Munich in February, by one of the participants, Jason Stein, who went to Munich and wrote uh, a journal, what he did every day, and we found that it was very refreshing and very interesting. And it was a topic that interested a lot of people who could not travel to Munich. We enjoyed reading it. So we thought that it's good for our uh, readers. Ask the question before you send us an article, how your article may benefit the reader. What does the reader learn from it? Of course, we can go in many technical details and we can also, um, sometimes we also have workshops on communication and on, on writing. Uh, we see that right now people start understanding the importance of also publishing articles and of writing, even in art theory. In other fields of art, it is already it's more common that it's not just your work, your physical, your objects, but it's also your thoughts, your writing that contribute so that your audience get to know you better, get to, to know who you are. Writing, the more you write, the better you get. Writing is like Carl Jung used to say, yoga teaches yoga, meaning that the more yoga you do, the more you understand what yoga is about and you develop your techniques. Writing teaches writing, so you have to exercise. If you don't like reading newspapers, or articles, because this is press, this is not a book, this is not a novel, this is not an essay, this is a short form of communicating your thoughts. But if you yourself, you are not a reader of newspapers, of magazines, if you are not interested in what happen, happens around you, uh, then probably it's not for you. The more you read also, on various topics, it doesn't have to be politics or economics, it can be culture. The more you feel also the need to add your contribution. The goal of Schmuck magazine is to bridge art and craft disciplines, to discuss contemporary social practices and make artists aware of market basics. It aims to serve as a podium for indies and outsiders, as you say, gallerists, curators, artists, to address interdisciplinary art directions, showing readers different cultural perspectives on how to appreciate and use art. Thank you, Christoph, for also joining us for my next question, because I would like to know what is in store for the next issue of the magazine, or is that still a secret? No, of course not. I mean, the magazine is is um, a publication, so we uh, yes. we are keen to make our thoughts uh, public. We have an interesting topic. Um, of course, we want the magazine to expand its radius to different fields, and this is what we are trying out. 
It's also for us, the, the time management. It means that we are working parallelly on, on residency projects. We also work on our own works. We always get into the preparation of the magazine. We, we want to extend also in, in special publications of the magazine. What we already did in, in this recent issue, building a, a catalog for a special exhibition. So, so to say, we have a special edition on a certain project uh, that is connected to an exhibition or a residency, maybe independently of the three times a year issues. Yes, we, we are thinking of, uh, because we work a lot with waste and jewelry and the new values and ecologically minded jewelry, the environmental issues, maybe we, so we are making thoughts of how we can, um, all, all the photo material and the art is working in this field that we know and have worked together, how we can uh, combine them in a special publication, something like a catalog. Uh, that would be very challenging for us in, in the future. And the next issue's title is Rejected. It's a theme that's very hot for many people. And actually, what does one learn from rejection, from being rejected? Why rejection is sometimes important for evaluating one's own progress, but also for evaluating one's own values and sometimes illusions. I was rejected by a gallerist in Paris in a very brutal way. And then I learned that going to New York, my work was met with enthusiasm. So it's something personal. Uh, we started this theme and we collect experiences by people who have been rejected. And this rejection has been positive for them because they changed. We know a lot of people with fantastic careers who have made this experience of being not just rejected, it's a matter of, of taste and of, of fitting in a project or not, but being rejected in a brutal manner, like you are worth nothing, get out. And I think that artists, especially now, that we see that the gallery system does not work. We see galleries closed down and we see also they don't sell or when they sell, you're a prisoner to their price policy should take this, the power they have, their talent, their skills, their fantasy. Uh, I find it amazing that people working with imagination have not yet developed a scheme of independence, financial independence, have not invested more thoughts in how can I make, where can I find, for example, sponsors? It was one of the considerations of our projects. Where do we find sponsors for our works? How do we promote through which channels? It's not just galleries. There are many, many people out there not knowing that this sort of artist engaged in political issues, environmental issues exist with this high level of work, with working with jewelry, a medium which is communication, the most communicative of all art media, and they cannot find the connection. It's like we, we think a lot about these issues and we want to share them. And as I said, the letter to the editor is the simplest form to share something, and if an artist sends us a piece that is not perfect, but the message is interesting, we edit it, we give advice how to write it better, so to say, to be publishable. And so the first step is the need to, to communicate. If you run an artist-in-residency program, could you tell us more about the artist-in-residency opportunities you organize and why you think taking an artist-in-residency is beneficial for jewelers or artists in general? Okay, we had this one artist a week uh, residency projects where artists would come for one week and we would offer the, the accommodation and an exhibition in Athens in changing venues. So we, we also researched, we, we found places that were not gallery spaces, but rather small shops or even on the, in the, street. on, in the streets, on the walls, uh, photographers, urban developers, 
architects, artists, they were all welcome. The concept of this residency is was about this like fast art, like fast food, fast art. In one week, you come to Athens, you know, maybe nothing about Athens. You have to develop not just a project, but also to create work that is to be exhibited. You come on Monday, Thursday is your show, opening of the show, Sunday is end of the show, and you leave. So it was running with time, intensively working with something, being under rush to produce something. And we also had the one plus one, where it was like a blind date for artists. Two artists who did not know each other agreed to share the studio and the flat for two weeks and work on their projects that sometimes be co-exhibited. Sometimes the project, the two projects became one project and sometimes out of this uh, cohabitation, uh, there was some kind of friendship and really partnership developed. This had to stop because of COVID, but it was one of our most popular projects. Yes, and people still ask if we, we offer this, we say at this time, no, but we have started now. Well, it will start in, in September with a new series of residencies. The one is running as an open call. It's Civilization Rebooted, especially for jewelry artists. Um, it's a combination of residency, setting up a collection of works and publication in our Schmuck magazine. So this is our holistic approach to everything. We, we want to, to make the connections. And we want to uh, present the artists as much as possible in, in different media and in, on different channels. Part of this project is the question of what is a collection and why a collection being part of a collection is important for the curriculum of an artist. Because we also see that artists, even experienced artists, do not have knowledge of how not only they can promote the work, where you exhibit, why you exhibit, who you cooperate with, uh, how you plan your career. And it is, it is a planning. It is not by chance. It is by design. Everything is by design. And of course, there is chance. But the more you try to follow a plan, more opportunities come uh, across your way. So the question of what is the value I get as an artist if my work is in a collection and what the collector does with his or her own reputation to promote this collection. So we build a collection, temporary collection. The works will be given back to the artist after the end of the project. But we wish to make exhibitions of all these works and bring this exhibits in the knowledge of people who are VIPs in the branch of jewelry, of fashion, of applied arts, and see how the value in terms of career development, how, the, how, how it develops. We should also mention that Christopher and I met during a residency. We have the experience of residencies and we have the experience of what is lacking in residencies or what artists wish to have in a residency and they don't get it. Uh, so we met in Westphalia in Kusladov uh, Schöppingen uh, 11 years ago and we started working together very soon. From all this experience we can offer something customized and address the needs that an artist has. What we don't offer is technical equipment there are residencies where you go and you have your workbench or materials. We don't offer that. We offer time and knowledge. So it, it gives time for thoughts, for ideas. And this is very important for artists who, who work on a certain topic or theme, um, not only to think of the technical aspects, but to think of a, a whole background yeah you both have also organized schmuck on real the first international video festival inspired by jewelry and wearable art presenting video works in the context of rapidly changing social and aesthetic values could you tell us a little more about it and how you came up with the idea the schmuck on real through the pandemic again 
we were forced to neglect the physical exhibitions. We were forced to, so to say, to stay home and be busy with what we have, the, the space we have, the studio or the, the living room. And during the development of the magazine, we also thought about the, the, the daily use of the medium uh, Zoom of, of um, talking to people and to be entertained, to watch movies. Uh, we thought about the medium of, of the movie, of something that is behind the object that is, you can, you can show it on the screen, you can make a photo and send a photo to people who want to see your jewelry, but it's, it's flat, it's, it's kind of empty. So we thought about creating a story around this object. Um, maybe the object doesn't even appear in, in the story, but the thoughts behind creating an object. And so we, we started to think about the, the format of putting this experience, working, experimenting with, a, with your smartphone, find the right format. And we came to the conclusion that it could be connected to the magazine. So this is why the, the title Schmuck on Real. Now we, we had the first station in, in Munich in July with 60, more than 60 participants sending us their videos, artists, designers, institutions, galleries, who liked this idea to present themselves through a moving image. And now in mm -hmm. October, we are going to Bucharest to the Romanian Jewelry Week, and then after to Grassi Museum in Leipzig. We are also in this first Schmuck on Real, we didn't have a specific theme, was open for everything, only we had honorary guest, uh, eight Ukrainian artists who sent us amazing videos. They created some of them for the first time through instructions. We gave them online on their work and life in the war. All of them are very moving. If you think the conditions they've been made under, we see the will of, of the Ukrainian artist to continue. We have the idea, we work on the idea of holding, because Leipzig and Kiev are sister cities, of holding a schmuck on real at the same time in Kiev, while it is happening in Leipzig. And then we see maybe there is another stop. And for next year, we are working more on the idea of making, of giving a theme, which could be a theme from world literature. There are many really surprising uh, results of people who never work with video. And this is the, the challenge. It's more important what your message is and, and how you tell a story than that it's nicely made. Yeah. So everything is allowed, but of course it has to have a core that needs to be interesting. The same with writing an article. We see the results that might be only a sketch, but people are challenged to go on and, and use this medium again in the future. So you can review all the videos on the website. Lucia, for my last question, I would like to go back to the article you wrote that sparked a discussion in the previous podcast titled, Why Doesn't Contemporary Jewelry Take Off? And you list some reasons why this is the case. Could you tell us more about why you wanted to write the article and what you think could be done to change anything? Um, let's say this article is a follow-up of an article in a previous issue uh, when we interviewed many artists and many uh, galleries as well. Not all of them uh, were mentioned. Some of them wanted to remain anonymous about how they fare in terms of selling the work after the pandemic and all. It was before the war erupted, which is another blow, I would say, for the world economy, etc. Although the artists, the jewelry artists, uh, most of them said that either they are doing okay or not that good, or they are very worried about the future, all of them are active professional for many years 
uh, with the record of having a good living through the work, doing commercial work and artwork, combining. Uh, many gallerists uh, told us uh, that they did fantastic businesses, uh, uh, art jewelry galleries and art galleries, uh, or art galleries working with various forms of art. They had certain characteristics. Some of them uh, were selling in a low, in low level prices, like up to 5,000 euro. Some of them sold even above, even five-digit prices. So they were even themselves amazed, but they worked a lot with internet and the international market. And uh, because I'm a subscriber to Christie's newsletter and to other newsletters by other um, uh, auctioning houses, uh, I was amazed to read the results, of the, the economic results that Christie's reported for the years of the pandemic, the two years, they were record years in sales. So Christie's said, and I believe them, that uh, not only our uh, major de departments flourished and we have a lot of younger buyers, mainly from Asia, also we experience the demand, we have demand for new disciplines, our disciplines that they can address also a younger public, like graphic design classics, publications, books, uh, whatever. And I receive all this information and I wonder, and I did a research in the internet, and I see hardly any art jewelry. We talk to galleries, art galleries, that are also engaged in auctioning experience in Germany and abroad, also in UK, and they don't know anything about our jewelry. They've never heard of it. Maybe they heard about Calder or Dali making jewelry out of fun in the past, but they know nothing about artists working with this discipline, about the major meetings of this discipline, about the awards, about the stars. Maybe Robert Baines in one, is one of the few stars that is also very well promoted like in magazines like Vogue, etc. Most of the stars, in, quote unquote, we have and we admire are unknown. Um, I also went into private platforms of auctions or of selling art or like platforms having um, online galleries. And there was nothing of the sort of very, very, very few people, very few people with no prices no sale record, so I'm not even sure that being exposed there, it helps them. And then I started asking myself, okay, here we are talking about a great potential not being recognized. Of course, you can be an optimist and say, this is a huge task and a huge opportunity to build something out of this unknown field. And unfortunately, and this is going to to be hard to tell, but I think it's it's the truth. All these efforts by so many organizations and so many authorities, also state-run authorities, fairs, um, lecturers, um, curators, to promote art jewelry, they end up promoting art, art jewelry inside a bubble or a public that already knows about art jewelry and no further. So all these efforts are in vain. So we talked with various people from various institutions and we came to the conclusion that you have to open up and the efforts you did up to now as a community were not successful. This is bitter. It's a bitter truth to acknowledge, but in order, this is how we learn, at least in Germany at the university, in order to solve a problem, you have to acknowledge the problem. There is a big problem. There is a lot of resources, energy, money invested in things that bring back nothing. This is what I believe. An example, gallerist in Munich, very reputable, working with art jewelry and objects and crafts, told us, we try to make an opening to a broader audience, but the press does not promoters, but they don't ask how is the press going to promote them? 
that there are rules. So they don't think about maybe we should uh, assign a PR agency or maybe we should go to the state-run agency of creative economy, like the one I work for in Hamburg, in Munich, and ask them for advice. Or maybe we should learn or have a workshop in communication. There are many offered also online to understand first the steps we have to do to make the press curious about us. One of the very bad things happening is that in Munich, you have this big event, 60 years, 62 years, and the press, the local press, one of the major uh, German newspapers is the Deutsche Zeitung, is, is international, also in uh, English version, etc. Maybe they write an article, maybe one article about the Pinacoteca Moderna show, because it's Pinacoteca Moderna, major institution, but no word about the fair. So we see, I see the press not being a villain or uh, bad people, or uh, I, I see the reporters not being informed about what is our jewelry and why is this very important? What kind of, of profit for the city this event can, can uh, produce? We have the illusion because there is jewelry press, contemporary jewelry press, that does its work and it does its work uh, in a good way and, and connects the community. But people think that this is enough. This is for the community and this work is important for the community. But you have to open the community. And then this is the question, do you want to open the community? We come to the next very hard question. Do you want to open to the broader disciplines, to the other galleries, to the art market, or you don't want it? Artists need also to look at the world, not just in their feelings. Of course, you have your feelings as an artist when you work on something or the things that interest you, your emotions. But how are you going to attract people if contemporary jewelry is about your own neighbor? So how I'm going to make contact with you as a customer if you don't know anything about my, my world, my concerns? Contemporary art is about politics, it's about the commons, politics in the terms of commons being interesting in the problems of a lot of people. And I don't see this transfer of, of this, this current also going through the art jewelry, that it should be more open to a very challenging situations that need, maybe you don't, as an artist, you don't give answers. It's not your work, but it is your work to make people aware of these themes. I also see the problem in the academies or in the art schools. One can argue that it's not the role of the art schools to teach students about their future careers or that some art schools and universities have a bureau of career with consulting, with giving advice, I was kind of shocked to read a few months ago in Klimt, something like a manifesto by various academics. Maybe I misunderstood it, but this is how I got it. Listen, the situation right now is very bad. We have the crisis financial through COVID. We have the war. We have aggressive market. We should get away from the market. If you are an independent artist or a freelancer, a journalist, an author, a writer, and you don't have a guaranteed wage, you have to know how the market works. And very few artists have fixed wage. They have to learn how to navigate, what they should do. You don't have to make them experts in marketing or make them orient them towards, oh, you make only what your customer wants because then you take away all the inspiration and because the artists have to open new ways uh, in taste, in aesthetics, in themes. But on the other hand, you can prepare people that you, you will live from the market. The market is beneficiary because the market has no hierarchy. In ancient Greece, in Greek, 
Ancient Greek and modern Greek is the same word, agora, agora, market. Market is not just money. Market is communication, is transference, is opinion exchange, is being together with people, talking about the things that bother you. And we think there is no agora thinking in the jewelry world. There is a lot of hierarchical thinking, a lot of stardom, but you have a lot of students, of graduates, a lot of people working with this medium, a medium that is fantastic, that exists in all cultures, that is the most ancient form of art. And this answers also the first question, what fascinates me in jewelry. In jewelry, I'm not a a trained jeweler or a goldsmith. I came to jewelry because a piece of jewelry has in itself the history, the history of status, the history of magic, the history of commerce. In in the National Archaeological Museum of Athens, we have uh, necklaces from the Copper Age Greece around 13th century BC um, that are made of amber. And amber does not exist in Greece. It was brought from the Baltic. So you can imagine the trade. And we know where the trade is. And we know also about the copies of antiquity that they were in today's Crimea. They were the copies. They copied all new designs and made it cheaper And because there was need for jewelry as ornament, as status symbol, as religious um confession uh in greece many people wear the cross it's a talisman for them and it's also a, a a confession of the faith um so i think that it is it's not the right move to say no um our reaction to this pressing situation is to tell students don't the market is evil uh, as I was told by academics in 2014, the market, you preach the market, the market is evil. The market is not evil. The market has no morality. It's taste. Uh, we had a project in 2016 I want to talk about and about how what you can do to reach out to a broader audience and why jewelry and art is important, even for people who can't afford them and how inspiring it is. We had the project in advance. The whole show took place in a van that changed location every three days during Schmuck in Munich 2016. And it was called, we had 20 artists, and uh, we called it Test Drive because you could rent the jewelry, test it, and buy it or bring it back. So we had a lady coming to us, I think she was from Scotland, and she rented a brooch by one of the most well-known designers we hosted in this uh, in this show and she brought it back and she said my financial situation does not allow me to buy this piece i loved it i mean for me it's very moving i loved the feeling i had the the power i felt to walk in the shows with this brooch and i see how I never knew anything about contemporary jewelry. It gave me such an empowerment that I will start following it. So I believe we have not extended the possibilities to expand our market base, to expand our audience. And we are kind of defeatistic when we say that no, we should not consider the market. No, we should not consider reaching out. It's very banal for us. And to go back to the article, what puzzled me is why do we have buyers interested to buy Native American ex-slave folk art? So why there is an audience for, let's say, outsiders, for people who have been as artists working in medium like linoleum prints or printing? is also in demand, photography, Polaroid photography, why there is an audience and high prices and gallery and institutional exhibitions. So this is the question to be to be answered, why there is no interest for a medium or no knowledge. And my conclusion is because none of us, artists, galleries, academics, uh, press, has done enough Everybody tries to do its best, 
And I never, I would never suggest that the academies change their programs to conform to the taste now, because the taste now is not the taste in 10 years or in 20 years. So it is good that the students have the capacity to, to, to develop their skills, but they should learn to observe the trends. They should learn more um, also about the past and the future is connected to the past. And we also see a lot of jewelry artists ignoring basic art history, not only art history of painting or uh, sculpture or printmaking or photography, but also of the own jewelry, the jewelry history. At least we can keep that in mind and at least we can evaluate the efforts up to now, which efforts do not bring us nowhere. And what should we do? So this is this is my, my honest question. Why doesn't contemporary jewelry, while the art market is flourishing, because it's also an investment for people who have a lot of money and they're afraid that the inflation we experience right now devalues their money. So they look for assets, they look for art, they look for um, real estate, they, they look for various things. And art is also pleasant and art gives meaning to the lives of people. Uh, we refuse to approach people who maybe don't have enough money to buy now, but we can build, we can help them build the taste for the future. You ask me what is to be done. A lot, as I said, a lot of things. And be be honest. I don't. I think many people are not honest in in the jewelry community. Uh, networking, for example, is understood as oh, you meet a lot of people, but that's maybe it brings you nothing. Okay, it's it's nice to meet a lot of colleagues. I ask myself why the Cartier, the Dior, the Tiffany, the Boucheron that recruited my colleague and friend, Ivanis Michaloudis, for his fantastic technique to work with NASA foam material for spaceships and create jewelry, does not come to Munich. I say Munich, maybe, you know, I don't know the UK fair landscape uh, that well. Maybe the uh, industry recruiters come and they... Uh, they have a different attitude, uh, but in Munich, we see galleries, art jewelry galleries from all over the world coming and visiting, uh, but we don't see also fashion. For example, all major fashion brands, they have jewelry collections, and I think they would be very interested in recruiting young designers who can design a collection for a year. But why they don't come is maybe because nobody has asked them or nobody has invited them to come. Uh, another thing that I find is striking is the price. The price of contemporary jewelry is very high compared, and, uh, and this is something people hate me for telling it. I have the, the habit to compare the prices I see in a gallery with the prices I see of Otrayeri or of jewelry uh, brands, very well-known brands, uh, with the contemporary jewelry. And I think they're overpriced because the brands also use very well-known artists or excellent designers. So I think they're overpriced. And because these prices, the other thing they don't understand, many jewelry artists do not understand, is you don't have the price. If this price, nobody has bought in this price. The price is formed once somebody has bought. There are many definitions for the various forms art and jewelry can take. How we identify ourselves matters in order to find a community and support. In addition, there are also global challenges at play that, whether we like it or not, we are inevitably contributing to or engaging in. For all these reasons, it's important we consider our context. A writer, artist and editor who does so with passion is Lucia Richards and her partner Christoph Ziegler. For their contribution to date and for the time to speak to me today, I would like to thank you a lot. We certainly cannot wait to read and see what you do next. So we thank you a lot for, for your time and for all these questions. 
Next month, I will be joined by another guest, so watch this space to find out who it is. But for now, this was Sophie Boons for the BAJ podcast episode titled Opening Up on Jewelry with Lucia Richard and her partner Christoph Ziegler. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.